Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. My prayer and my goal is to get actually all the way through verses 1 through 6. I know it sounds crazy, but because of how this chapter breaks up, it'd be really hard not to, to, to break it up anywhere else. If we, we really need to get as far as chapter 6. And as I was sharing with Chris over here a little bit earlier, typically on a week, uh, we come, I'll have six or seven pages of notes. Tonight I'm looking at 12 to 14. So I might talk fast tonight because I really want, yeah, you say, wait a minute, don't you do that every week? <laughs> well, we faster. Yeah, exactly. So, well, so let's get into chapter four. My goal and my prayer is that we'll get all the way through chapter six because I want to start fresh in verse seven next week. We'll just see how far we get. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's where we're hoping to get. Now, ironically, even though here I just said that I want to try to get that far, we can't jump into chapter 4 just yet because I need to clarify something from last week. If you remember where we were last week, I actually shared an illustration from our personal family experience on how when we stepped out in obedience to what God had said to do by leaving the pastorate to go into this traveling ministry, God has provided for us with amazing bookings and we've been doing it for eight years and we've never lacked and it's been an amazing way in which God has demonstrated his power. What I want to do though is to remind you also of some things that I said so that you understand what I'm saying as well. Do you remember we looked last week at the manifestation of God's power is going to be different in and through each of us. We all have different gifts and God's a different plan for each of our lives. We're going to be getting into that in a lot of detail when we get into chapter four. What I don't want you to hear, though, is that how God did it for me is how God will do it for you. Because as we're going to look real quickly, scripturally, the Bible teaches that how God manifests his power, like I just said, will not only be different, we can hold on to the fact that whatever God has said, he will do. But we have a tendency when we step out in obedience to what God says to automatically assume in our flesh that, oh, he really blessed Jim. He'll bless me in that exact same way. And I want you to understand that that may not be the case. Keep in mind with you that the, the scripture shows us that there were a couple widows that were destitute and really in need and God provided for them. One widow, if you know the story, God told her to go and gather up from all her friends all these jars, empty jars. And she brought them in and they started pouring the oil and the oil didn't run out until they had filled all the jars. And she was told to go and to sell all that oil and to live off of the surplus. She had gotten an abundance and she was to live off the surplus. Another widow, Elijah goes to her and he tells her, here's what God says. If you feed me first, every time you go to the cupboard, there'll always be something there. It'll never run out. Now, one widow, he made sure that there was never a lack. Another, he gave a provision by giving a surplus. Now, let's be honest. Which would you rather he do? Now, I ask you this because I know how we all are, but I want to point something out. Every one of us would say, boy, I would pr prefer that he do the surplus for me. But here's the thing. Well, you know, it's interesting. If God says it will never run out, why are we more comfortable when we can see the surplus versus when God has said 
It's always going to be there. It's in my pocket. But we trust it more when we can see it than when he says it. So I want you to understand how God has provided when we stepped out in obedience. I thank him for it. Yet that doesn't mean that if you step in out obedience, that the way in which God just provided right away immediately in sur surplus is how he's going to do it for you. There actually, when you hear an illustration like that, you think, oh, it's been rosy the whole time. No, there have been periods during these eight years that God put us through a time of testing when there was actually money running out. There was actually a month to two month period right at the very beginning where I didn't have any place to speak. And nobody making any phone calls. And God was testing whether or not I was going to rely on him and whether or whether or not I was going to start making phone calls. And when you hear an illustration, don't just automatically assume, well, God didn't do that way for me. I didn't say he would, but I can tell you this much. If you do what he says and you step out in obedience, I promise you he will do everything he said he will do. The question is, are you going to put words in his mouth? My God shall supply all my needs. Exactly. We have a tendency to assume that when I do what God says, it's going to work out wonderfully. Does anybody know what happened to Moses when he had his burning bush experience? I mean, we're talking an incredible, clear call of God. God meets him at the burning bush and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and you go to Pharaoh and you tell him, let my people go. So Moses does what God says. He took a little fear and boldness. He went to Pharaoh. Did it all work out nice? No, Pharaoh actually said, hey, uh, sounds like you guys got a lot of free time there. Uh, come up with these plans to go out in the wilderness. Uh, tell you what, same amount of bricks. Now you're going to get your own straw. Get right to you, Duke. And then was the Bible says the Bible says that when that happened, the Israelites hated Moses. This is why you got to know what did God say? Not, well, I thought it was going to work. No, no. what did God say? Let me tell you what God said when, it, when we left the pastor to go into this ministry. As I've been wrestling with, are you telling me to do this? Or is this really you? Or is this me? All that stuff we all go through. When I finally heard the go. Oh, he had said it before. I hadn't heard it because I was, wasn't listening well. When I heard it clearly and I walked in obedience, what he said was, I will walk you through it. In other words, he said, I'll be there the whole time. Do what I ask. Now, in our situation, as you've heard the story, he provided with a wonderful, generous donation by a man at the very beginning of the ministry. And from that point on, even though there came a couple of times where he said, are you going to trust me? Because the things got a little tight. He has provided. Yes. I, I was going to say that the Lord provides in his time because Moses was told that Pharaoh would not listen. That's right. Jeremiah was told. They're not going to listen. Isaiah was told they're not going to listen. And that's why I'm saying that's why I told you, you do what God says and don't put words in his mouth. Don't See, what he's told you. exactly. The whole, the, whole the whole the whole story, because we have a tendency to automatically hear a story like mine and think, well, that's how God's going to do it for me. I never said he would do it that way for you. What I said was. If you do what he said, he will do what he says. But how he manifests his power will look different for each of us. And that's very important. And that's going to be helpful for us, by the way. I haven't wasted time tonight by dealing with this thing from last week, because this will be helpful for us as we move into chapter four, especially in the weeks to come, because we're going to be talking about all the different gifts and roles and responsibilities and how we're all we got to be focused on what it is God's asked me to do. The problem is. Before we can go there, we have to deal with what Paul says here in chapter four at the beginning. All right. So what I want you to do tonight is 
move with me into here. We have, you may not realize this, but chapter four is actually the halfway point of this book. It's the halfway point of this book, not really because of the number of the chapters, but really because in the first three chapters, he's been dealing with what God has blessed us with and what he's what he's doing. Now it's going to move into how he's going to manifest it through the church. Well, how did he end up at the end of chapter three? He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory where? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul is now saying here in this section, let's move into the second half. Paul is now encouraging the believers to live according to what God has done and is doing in their midst. He's just spent the time to say you've been blessed this way and you've been blessed that way and all this stuff. Now we're going to get into the practical part. Now we're going to get into the how-tos, the specifics of what it means to be in the church and how to give God glory. So I want to remind you of some verses we've already talked about, so we're not going to for the sake of time look there, but if you want to write them down, you can go to John chapter 17, verse 4. That's where Jesus is in the garden and he prays this. He said this, I have brought you glory on the earth. He's praying to the Father. He says, I brought you glory on the earth by doing what you've asked me to do. Did you catch that? You bring glory to God by doing what He asked you to do. That's very, very important. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. Write that down and look at it later on. Paul's preaching and he's using David as an illustration to talk about that David actually died and he was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. So he couldn't be the person that the prophecy was talking about when the prophecy said, you won't let your holy one see decay. Because those people all thought it might have been referring to David. And David said, look, David died. He was buried and his body decayed. But he words it very interestingly in Acts 13, verse 36. He said, when David had served God's purpose in his generation, he died and his body decayed. Did you catch how he worded it? When David had served God's purpose, that's when he died. I'm going to ask you a question here. We already know Ephesians 2.10 that we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the question I wrote down in my notes that I want to ask you. Has God created you? saved you and gifted you to live the life you have in mind or the life that he has in mind for you. See, that, we got to go here for a little bit. See, as we live in America and we hear this and it's in a lot of our churches, it's being taught. You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. If you put your mind to it, you can achieve it. What the mind can, you know, can conceive, the body can achieve. You heard all this stuff, haven't you? And the preaching and the teaching out there is you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, did it say not to him who was able to do more abundantly than ever could imagine, ask or think? Folks, you just need to big dream big dreams. And you can be whatever you want to be. Well, I want to kind of line us back up with the scripture. I believe the Bible, actually, God has in mind for us more than we ever could imagine. Yet, the Bible also teaches that he has a specific plan for each of us. And you want to bring glory to God? You will not bring glory to God by dreaming big dreams. You bring glory to God by living the life that he has for you. Remember the parable of the talents? He gave one what? Five. He gave another what? Two and another what? Did he give them all the same? No. Each according to their ability, according to the scriptures. Well, what does the Bible say? Who determines our ability? God. 
John, sorry, in John chapter 21, Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, Peter, when you're young, you dressed yourself and went whenever you want, wherever you wanted. But when you're old, let me tell you how you're going to die. You're going to stretch out your arms. And that was a picture of crucifixion. Jesus comes and he says, look, you're going to die a crucifixion. Peter, being just like you and I, says, well, what about John? <laughs> you know, you just told me how I'm going to die. Not too excited about that, but I'd feel a little better if you tell me how John's going to die. You know, boiling in oil. You know, that, that'd make me feel better. And actually, what does Jesus say? He says, what if I want him to remain alive until I return? What's that to you? You follow me. You want to bring glory to God? You live the life that he has in mind for you. You serve God's purpose in your generation. Acts 17, Paul says that God determines where we'd be born and when we'd be born. And he does it for his purposes to bring us to him and then to use us for his glory, to bring others to him and to use us for his purposes. Let me just tell you, for too long, the church has been trying to tell you what you ought to be doing or the church has been saying you could do whatever you want to do. Let me just tell you, your God has awesome things in mind, more than you ever could imagine. But at the same time, why don't you be listening to let him show you what that is? And that's why it's so important for us to move into this section. Starting next week, we're going to really get into it in more detail. Where We start looking at the different gifts and the different roles in the church and how God knits us all together for his purposes. But you need to find out where you fit in and just do that. Let me just use the email you got today as a little commercial or a little illustration of what I'm talking about. You got an email that said, hey, you know, there's been only certain people bringing food. And if anybody else would like to hear clearly what we're not saying. We're not saying that everybody should be sharing equally in this role. See, that's where a lot of churches go and say, well, everybody come, everybody should take their turn. That sounds, makes sense in our heads. But you know what? Some of you are gifted in making food. Some of you, please don't. <laughs> you don't want me bringing food. Some of you, it's not a burden for you to bring food every week. Man, if, 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 if it's if it's way well, God's blessed you and you're gifted and you want to do it and it's fun, it's not a chore, it's not a burden. Sign yourself up a lot. <laughs> sign ups back there. Becky's pointing. We just want you to know that that is available if you want to serve in that way. And that's an area you're gifted. We just want you to know that it's there. Please do not hear us say everybody should be pulling an equal amount of weight. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. All right. Now, along that line. Remember how Satan was not satisfied with his lot in life. We've already been through that study. Remember when we got to that part, how God's intent that was through the church, the manifold wisdom of God we made known to the spiritual authorities in the heavenly realms, in the heavenly places. Satan was not satisfied with his lot in life. And he's going to want to make you not satisfied with your lot in life. That's why the false teaching of you can be whatever you want to be appeals to our flesh. But I still tell you what he has in mind for you would blow your mind and is better than you ever would have dreamed. But why don't you find out, okay, God, you made me, you saved me, you're the one that's given me gifts, and you have a specific plan and way you want me to use those gifts. What is that in mind? Now, everything in me wants to go into that in great detail now, but I got to stop. Because Paul, before he goes into any more detail about that, he spends verses one through six at the beginning here dealing with something that's even of more importance. Before we can get into the specifics of how we all are gifted and called before we can go branch out, there's something we got to see before we go do that. And as we do, let me ask you a question. I just said you can't be everything you want to be. I just said that God's got a specific plan for you, and it, and it might be rough. 
It might not be as easy as somebody else's. I just said that we don't know, but God is the one who makes the calls in our life and what he wants to do. I'm going to ask you not a show of hands, but I'm just going to ask you a simple question. Do you have a problem with that? You know who didn't? Paul. Look at what he says here in chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for who? For the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We'll get into the specifics in just a second. Look at how he starts this part now. As I'm about to talk to you about the specifics of what it means to be in the church and how God wants to use you in the individual planning as for your lives and how they'll all knit together, he said, I urge you as a prisoner for the Lord. Where was Paul sitting when he wrote this book? He was sitting in prison. I want to remind some of you, some of you might have never seen this. Put a bookmark here in Ephesians. Go with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I want to walk you real quick through Paul's conversion experience, but I want you to see what happens. Something very interesting at the very beginning of Paul coming to know Jesus. Acts chapter 9, it says, But Saul, you say, well, I thought we were talking about Paul. That was his name before it got changed by the Lord. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, meaning Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love that. We'd say, well, he was going after Christians. Jesus takes it personally when anybody goes after his children. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might retain, regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Here's everything we've just talked about in our introduction, all summed up in one section. I've got a specific plan for his life. Paul says in Galatians, when he was talking about that, he said, God, who set me apart before I was born and then chose me to preach to the Gentiles. God had his plan for his life before he was born. I'm going to ask you that question again. Has God created you, saved you, gifted you so that you can live the life you have in mind or the life that he has in mind. See, our flesh, we hear that and we go, oh, that sounds restricting. Let me just tell you, it sounds crazy. But when you find out what it is and you let him live his life through you, you will experience the joy and the peace that you never could have imagined. And there will be something that clicks. You'll go, that's it. Let me tell you briefly about my brother, Jeff. 
he uh, grew up in our house, and he's brilliant. I'll be honest with you. My, my family will tell you, uh, their Uncle Jeff is a genius. So much so when he was 17 years old and going to Palm Bay High School, NASA came and found him there and said, we're going to give you a full ride scholarship. He, was at seven, he wasn't even college age at this time. He's still a junior in high school. We're going to give you a full ride scholarship when you graduate high school to FIT. And starting right now, we're going to put you to work at NASA. And he started working on the space shuttles when he was 17 years old. And when you graduate, we guarantee you so many thousand dollars and we'll pay for all your school. We want you so much. We will pay all that and we'll start paying you now. So he started to go to work and he worked at NASA starting at 17 years old. He was at FIT. He's already three, ways, three years through his program to get his degree. And he said, I don't know if I want to work with computers the rest of my life. I'd rather work with people. And he quit the program. Now he had to pay for college himself. He finished at FIT and got a business degree. And he ended up selling shoes for Foot Locker as a manager for Foot Locker, wearing the striped shirt in the mall. One day in the time of just trying to figure out what's going to do with my life, he comes out to visit Becky and I while we're in New Orleans. I'm in seminary at the time and also on staff at a church. And he comes out just to visit us. Car breaks down on the way out. As you know what it's like those, time, those years of your life, you know. And we actually had to tow him in from Mississippi. He shows up and he meets a girl in that church almost immediately. Decides he's going to move to New Orleans to be by this girl. That's what this guy's going to do. And he got a job at Tom McCann in the mall now selling <laughs> shoes. One night on a Wednesday night, he's at work. At this point now, Julie's his wife. And a missionary came and spoke at the church and was talking about the mission field. Julie walks back into their apartment that night because she had gone to church while he was at work. And she said, Jeff, I got to tell you something. Years ago, when I was 13 years old, I surrendered because I felt like God called me to the mission field. And as a 13 year old girl, I surrendered to be a missionary. And I have been running from that for years. And tonight, God reminded me that he's called me to be a missionary. I don't know what that means. I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm supposed to be a missionary. And Jeff said it was like you had flipped on a light switch where God said, that's it. And they redirected and they've been missionaries in Azerbaijan for, sorry, not Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan. They were, they were for 10 years. And they served as a church, at a church as a, uh, on staff in New Hampshire for three. Then they were over in Thailand for three. And now they're, he's associate pastor of a church in Georgia, in Woodstock, Georgia. And he's happier than he's ever been because he's doing the work that God's called him to. Took him a while to figure out what it was, but when it clicked, it clicked. Oh, by the way, I wouldn't have wanted to go to the places that God sent him. But that wasn't my call. That was his call. Whatever it is, even Paul, I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul embraced the life that God had for him. We're not going to take the time to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about how God gave him this thorn in his flesh because of the great revelations that he had been given. He'd gotten to see heaven and, the, and, and so on. And I'm allowed to talk about some of the stuff he saw. But to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul says, God put out a thorn in my flesh. And I begged three times that God would take it away. And God said, what? No, my grace is sufficient for you because my power will be made strong or evident in weakness. And what does Paul say at the end of that section? In verses 9 through 12, he says, 
Therefore, I will embrace my weaknesses because that's where God's power is released in my life. I want the life he has for me. I know this isn't the preaching you hear. I know this doesn't sound good to our flesh, but let me tell you, if you're willing to trust God at his word, you will understand when Paul says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Oh, by the way, has anybody thought about the fact that this prisoner for the Lord was the one who just wrote, I wish you guys would come to understand the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of the love of God. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Someone who is exercising their gifts in a way that shows the unity in the body will live and walk in a way. Because that's what he says here. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You say, well, what have we been called to? It'll become clear as we get into this. But verse 4 shows us that there's a connectedness to our call. Look at verse 4. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We'll get into all that tonight. I just want you to see this much as we get into this. There is a connectedness to your call. As you hear me talk about God's specific plan for your life, it's also very easy for our flesh to say, well, let me just go do that and I don't have to deal with people. <laughs> Sounds good to us, no mercy people. But that's also not what the Bible teaches, as you're about to see. Before Paul goes into the specifics of the specifics, how it all plays out, he's going to now focus on the connectedness of all of us. And we're going to start dealing with some issues tonight that we need to kind of look at. Paul says someone who is exercising their gifts in a way that shows their unity in the body will live or walk in a way that is. And then he says we see here in a way that's humble. Humble people do not lord their authority over people. They do not seek to be in charge or to be praised. One of the saddest things I see as I travel around the country and go to so many different churches is see people jockeying for position. What did Jesus say about wanting to sit in the most important seats? He said, don't do it. Don't do it. Yet, we all want to move up the ladder. We politic to be deacon. I mean, because, you know, everybody's out there nominating and, hey, put, put, it, put in a good word for me. I always told a man, the moment you told me that you wanted me to vote for you for deacon, you were already disqualified in my mind. You're not ready. You're not ready. And he says, I want you to live humble. Let me actually take you to two passages. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Where's 1 Peter? 1 Peter is right before 2 Peter. Good question. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Thank you for teeing it up for me, by the way, Allison. That was great. <laughs> Look at, what, look at what Peter says. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. You see what he's saying here? He says, to those of you in leadership, you're not to be domineering and using your, lording your authority over people. No, you're to be an example. You're to be humbled like Jesus was. Well, let's just see what the scripture says about like Jesus was. You're in Ephesians there. You bookmark in Ephesians. Turn over one book to Philippians. Look at chapter 2. 
We're going to read all the way from verse 1 through verse 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some of us think that humility and being humble means to be weak. Actually, humility is a restrained power because of your trust and dependence in the Lord. You're going to see this a lot, by the way, in each of these things we're looking at. They're going to be tied to our trust and our dependence on the Lord. But have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus, who is Almighty God, while He was on the earth, they stood there and said, you're of the devil. You're demon-possessed. Now, let's be honest. You're God. You created them. You can just say to the fig tree, die, and it dies. You command the wind and the waves, the demons obey instantly at your speech. The Bible says that in him we live and move and have our being. We couldn't even breathe if God didn't live it. And Jesus could have easily, as they stood there and said, you're of the devil, gone pop. But he didn't. He just moved on. That's humility. Was he weak? No, he wasn't the least bit weak. But he had a trust and dependence on the Lord. And true humility, if you're going to walk worthy of the calling, you're going to exercise your gifts, you're going to be the person that God's created you to be, let me just tell you something. If you don't understand true humility, you're not ready. Someone actually said to me just recently, they said, Jim, do you, do you, you have a danger of getting a big head? Because these people are following you around wherever you speak. I'll say, when I was younger, I did. But God had to take me through a breaking process to teach me humility. And I'm at that point now where I say, I thank God for the fact that people think I have something to say that's from Him. But to be honest with me, you don't got to worry about me getting a big head when it comes to that kind of stuff. Been there, done that, don't want to go through it again. Remember the Bible says, humble yourself and God will exalt you. You exalt yourself and God will humble you. Let me just tell you, He's good at it. I don't want to go back. And so I don't see myself as better than anybody else. And I don't want you to either. If you're going to exercise your gifts in the way that brings unity, you're going to be humble. You're going to be dependent on God. Like I said, you're going to see this as a continual theme. The next thing he says is in Philippians, uh, sorry, Ephesians 4 there, is that they're also going to be gentle. I'm not going to take too much time on these because I need to keep moving, but gentle people are not rough. Gentle people don't have a temper. 
by the way. Sad to me how many pastors all over this country are known for their fiery tempers. The Bible says you're not even supposed to be in leadership if that is a problem that you have. The Bible says that's one of the qualifications in Timothy. The King James puts it not pugnacious. Does anybody know what pugnacious means? A you're a fighter. Yeah, a pugilist. You, you like to punch people out. I just heard Adrian Rogers on the radio today. He said uh, these two guys were in a fight. One got beat up real bad and ends up going to court. And the one that beat up real bad, he stands before the judge and the judge says, could you describe your attacker? He says, I'd rather not. That's what got me beat up in the first place. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and following, remember Jesus says, Come to me, you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? I'm gentle. I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, If you see your brother in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore them gently. The spirit of meekness. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 and following says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must gently instruct in the hope that God will bring them to their senses and help them see it. Folks, too many people thinking that they're moving up in the realm of Christianity. I'm just exercising my gifts are abusive and rough on the people around them. One of the things that I've learned over the years as a pastor, whenever I had someone come to preach when I was out of the pulpit, I'd always remind them, I don't want you to come and beat the sheep. Share truth, but don't beat the sheep. Folks, God's getting us ready to send us into a more fulfilled part of what he has in mind for each of us. But don't run off. How are you doing in the areas of humility and gentleness? He then also says, oh, by the way, gentleness is based on one's trust and dependence on God to work things out in his power. You can be gentle if you really think God's in control. If you think God needs you to swing a sword like Peter did, you don't understand the power of God. The Bible also says here in this passage that that kind of person will be patient. Patient people don't give up on situations or on people and definitely not on God. I'll, for the sake of time, I really want to move into, and, and I, I want to skip, but I can't. These, these scriptures I really want you to see. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Look at verses 9 through 13. It says, Let love, Romans 12, verse 9, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope. Be what? Patient, patient in what? In trouble, in tribulation, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer and contribute to the needs of the saints and seek so hospitality. Look what he says. There, we need to be patient in trouble. I know every one of us, our first thought when trouble comes is, how do I get out? I don't even know how I got in, but I want to get out. Be patient. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, could you take this away? Jesus prayed that prayer. But if God chooses to not take it away, will you be patient? Or if he says, I will, but not yet, are you, will you be patient? I'm doing something, but Lord, it doesn't look like you are. Will you be patient? See, patience depends 
on a dependence and a trust. And God to work things out in his timing. First Thessalonians chapter 5, we're not going to turn there because of time, but that in verse 14, he's telling them, his brothers, warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. We're not only to be patient in tribulation, we're to be patient with each other. And some of us make others test that even more than other people do. But look at James chapter 5 as well. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. This is for Allison Wilson. <laughs> I just did that so she would finally turn a Bible page. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Did you hear the gasp? I wonder if that gasp was recorded. That was awesome. James chapter 5. Look at verses 7 through 8. She's, she, when she sees what it says, she's going to be okay with it. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until what? The coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, fruit of the earth bringing... Um, sorry, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for what? Coming. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Folks, this, patience is going to be manifested in a lot of ways. In trouble with each other, waiting for the Lord. Has anybody noticed that there's a lot of waiting in this life? God's done it on purpose. God's done it on purpose. He's using it to shape us. Abraham, you're going to be a mighty nation. 25 years later <laughs> is when the baby's going to be born. David, come on out of your field, dude. We're going to anoint you. You're the next king of Israel. <laughs> 15 years later, Joshua, sorry, not Joshua, Joseph, you're going to have all your family bow down to you, dude. It's going to be awesome. They're just going to bow down to you 20-something <clears throat> years from now. Folks, how are you doing in that area? See, it's easy to get into, just tell me what my role is. I want the joy of serving God and the role that he's got for me. I want to just go do it. No, 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 no. You need to walk worthy of the manner in which you've been called. Humble. Gentle. Patient. Each one of these makes us it's all going to be based on our dependence on God and our trust in God. And the last one he says there, and you see in Ephesians 4, it's also bearing with one another in love. Love is the key, by the way, in all of these things. You will deal better with and bear with others when you remember how patient God has been with you. You can only share the love of God, by the way, if you have received the love of God. One of the biggest things that's helped me as a parent is when my kids would do certain things and my first reaction was to get angry was to stop and think, wait a minute, <laughs> I did that too. God's been patient with me. And it made it easier for me to be patient and bear with them with one another. Has anybody noticed how often, and I'm not going to take the time to turn there and show you, but has anybody noticed how often the Bible says that we're to bear with one another? In other words, it's almost like God assumes we're going to get on each other's nerves. It's almost like God thinks we're going to get offended by each other or something. That doesn't happen. Yeah, weird. Actually, we don't have time to turn there. Has anybody thought about who's writing this? Has anybody thought about who's writing? Be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another. No, who's writing this? Paul. Does anybody know what happened between Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15? I thought about this and I thought, we can't tiptoe around this. We can't pretend that didn't happen. 
But if you double check me later, because again, for the sake of time, we've got to keep moving here. But in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas had already been on a missionary journey together for a while. And they come back and report all that God did. It was really cool. And Paul says, let's go back and revisit some of those places we've been and check on the churches. Barnabas says, that'd be awesome. Let's bring John Mark with us. And Paul says, no, nah, let's not. Because if you remember, we brought John Mark with us last time and it got kind of tough in this one town and he deserted us. I don't think we should uh, bring him. Barnabas says, you don't understand the gifting God's put on my heart. My name means son of encouragement. I, I want to give him a second chance. Paul says no. And the Bible says they got into such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. Hey, Paul, where's your humility? Hey, Paul, where's your gentleness? Hey, Paul, where's your patience? Hey, Paul, where is your bearing with one another? Guess what? Paul's human as you and I. And I love the fact that the Bible shows us everybody's warts. But if you keep studying, you'll find that Paul got it right. Yes, they had a knockdown drag out and they didn't talk. One took one and another took another and they took off. But if you go and double check in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, when Paul is defending his rights as an apostle, he also says that Barnabas was an apostle. And this was after that time. And we can see that he had reconciled with Barnabas. Not only that, let me show you something. Go to 2 Timothy. We'll show you this. There's time for this. Go to 2 Timothy chapter, well, the last, chap, the last uh, chapter of 2 Timothy. Chapter 4, and look at what he says in verses 9 and following. This, by the way, is the last book that he wrote that we have recorded before he died. He says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me, and get Mark. By the way, that's that saying, dude, that, that he didn't want them with him. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Guess what? He reconciled. Folks, we're going to get on each other's nerves at times. There are going to be times we're going to be offended. But we're to bear with one another in love. And it'd be easier if you understand how much God's forgiven you. So that you can then extend that same thing. Are there going to be times you blow it? Yes, Paul did. The same one who wrote this from prison, he did. But guess what? He also knew that the Bible says, as far as it lies with you, live at peace with everyone. And you know and I know what happens in your spirit when you're not at rest because something's not right between you and a brother or a sister. And you can't rest. You can't sleep. You, what does the Bible say? Leave your gift at the altar. Go make it right. And then come back and worship God. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect in these areas. But God's given us a picture of how to measure what it's going to look like when we actually let him do what he does through us. See, the problem when we start getting into spiritual gifts and we start getting into being used of God, when we start getting into God's plan for each of us, the problem is all of a sudden we start getting puffed up. And the sad thing is I have seen too often in Christianity people who are, quote unquote, exercising their gifts for their glory, or I'm being led of the Spirit, and it causes division and confusion. 
and disharmony. And they look down on those who don't have what they're having or experience what they're experiencing. Let me take you real quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to make you a little heads up, by the way. We're not getting to the end of verse 6 tonight. I just know it. So I'm talking to the Lord now and he's telling me we'll just pick up where we left off next week. And I wanted to get further, but I've got to be patient and trust him. I got to trust him. Listen closely to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Look closely. Look closely at what he keeps saying. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. We're coming back to that. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, and according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Now there's a lot here, and trust me, when it gets to the part where we are in Ephesians, getting into more detail about the different gifts and God's plan for each of us. We're going to start looking at this stuff. We're going to take our time to break it down. And what are they talking about here? Because I want us to not just touch on it. I want us to dive into it. That's what the whole purpose of this Bible study is on Tuesday nights. It's not to preach a couple quick sermons. We're going to, that's why it takes us so long to get through something. Because we want to break the scripture down using the whole of scripture to teach it. And I want us to dive into what's there. So when it comes time, we'll come back and really look at this. But the couple things I want us to see for tonight is this. If you or you see somebody and they start talking about things of the spirit in such a way that they see themselves as better than you. Is that the spirit of God actually speaking through them? If they are doing what they're doing, whatever it is in the spirit and it is causing division. Is that God working? No, because he gives us and he exercises through us what he does for the common good. Oh, we're going to get into to line ourselves up with scripturally about things of the spirit. Because I think some of us are afraid of things of the spirit. We're going to go there. Yet, we're not going to go so far as many have. And so tonight, understand that before Paul could even get into the specifics of how it's all going to branch out, he says... There needs to be unity. And go back to Ephesians 4 and look at how he words it. Look at verse 3. After he's just said, walk, worth, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain what? Yes. Unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Of peace. <coughs> Those of you that have been Christians for a while, is it a rare thing that churches split? No. Isn't it sad how every single one of us could not only tell of one story, but probably at least five? 
Part of it is because we've not understood what we're going to be taking our time in. And that's why I feel like God's saying, Jim, you could rush through this and hit all the notes and say all the things you have written down. But it's too important for us to just run over it fast. How many of you know how you like things? Those of you who didn't raise your hand lied to me just now. <laughs> we all know how we like things, don't we? That's part of the problem. We all have strong opinions when it comes to this, that, or the other. Chris and I were having breakfast today, and it was a great breakfast. He paid. And uh, he and I were talking, and I said, you just sit down in any church, and you just throw out the whole topic of Syria. Will that be fun to watch? Not something to be fun to be in, because we all have strong opinions on a lot of stuff. When it comes to things of God... As you're about to see, God does things his way. But we all still want to have a say on how we think it ought to be. And he's given some people the responsibilities we're going to see in Ephesians 4 to be in leadership in the church. And they've been given more responsibility than others. And some of these responsibilities to make decisions that we may not like. So we rewrite our constitution and bylaws to make it where everybody has an equal say. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible talks about authority and leadership and respecting those who are over you in the Lord. Those, as we just read tonight, who are in authority, not lording your authority over those. There's such a thing as God's given them that role and you don't want it. Yet we do. And typically, because we haven't really been faithful to let the scriptures guide us in what the church is supposed to look like, we've kind of done it with a mixture of the word and a mixture of the flesh. And we wonder why the church today looks like kids on a playground. You ever sat back and watched kids on a playground? Oh, you're going to have people jockeying for position. You're going to have bullies. You're going to have people trying to get people on their side against those people on the other side. And guess what? Folks, I don't know about you. I'm tired of it. And I like the fact that Tuesday night we get together from 10, 12 different churches and we ain't talking about church. Amen. We have no constitution and bylaws. But we want to get together and we want to dive into the word. We want to love each other and God's developing relationships among us that are branching out beyond here. And I think it's an awesome, wonderful thing. And maybe, just maybe... Part of God's plan is that if we would grasp this truth, he might send us back to our local bodies to be used to, well, how, you guys, you, you ever started a fire? What's the first thing you use to start a fire? You want to get a good fire going, what's the first thing? Kindling. You go get the kindling wood. You don't start with a log, do you? Some people say gasoline and a blowtorch. I have done that too. But no, if you want to build a good fire, you go get the kindling wood. It's a little branch here and a little branch there, and you bring them together, and they start to grow. And then in times, you can add more, and it becomes a roaring fire. Instead of going back and trying to change your church, why don't you say, Lord, I just want to be a piece of kindling wood, and go find another piece of kindling wood in your local congregation. And you get together and you say, Lord, in your time, in your way, how you want to do it. And you pray and you speak when he tells you to speak and you're silent when he tells you to be silent. And you say, God, I know this is on your heart more than it's on ours because it wouldn't even be on ours if it wasn't on yours. 
do it. And show me how I fit in. And you watch what God does in each of them. Oh, are there going to be times that there's still going to be church splits? Yeah, Paul and Barnabas did. This is still going to happen. But before you go branch off and find out the role that God has for you, why don't we begin to let God begin to make us eager? I'll read it again. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Next week, we're going to look at the fact that there's one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and one God. We, that's a lot. We're going to be, that's what we'll, I can promise you now, we'll get as far as verse 6 next week. <laughs> but I don't want to rush through it because there's some things in there. We're going to talk about baptism. We're going to talk about things of the Spirit. We're going to talk about all that stuff according to the Scriptures. Do you notice that before Paul gets into, some will be doing this and some will be doing that, he focused on what? Hey, you've got to be focused on this first before you ever understand this. Because if what this does doesn't, doesn't work towards unity here, you won't be of the Spirit. I don't care how much you say you're of the Spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, there's so much still more to say, and I just feel like you're just telling us this is a place to stop, and so I trust you on that. I look forward to us coming back next week and looking at the fact that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one destiny, or one hope. Lord, may we come with an anxious heart to see what that looks like so that you can root us and ground us in truth so that as you reveal to us your plan for each of us, we could see how it not only works through us, but also how it connects with the body. So, Lord, tonight you might have been speaking to some of us, because I know if we're in local bodies, we're dealing with issues that are going on. And there's division and there's factions and there's envy and there's strife. But, Lord, instead of getting to the point where we're frustrated and anxious May you remind us that you are the master fixer, the master healer, the one who mends broken things. And you have the ability through the power of your spirit, through those who would let you work through them and by the power of your spirit alone. To bring restoration and reconciliation. Lord. Before we go and try to change the paperwork so we can get everything fixed, if the paperwork were just fixed, we'd all follow it. Lord, we know that's not true. May we not think that the bylaws are the problem. May we come and begin to seek you and say, Lord, I want to be part of that group that's eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Show me where I've not been gentle, where I've not been humble, where I haven't been patient. Lord, help me to trust you in this whole issue and to not think in man's ways of fixing things. And Lord, I might just find out, we all might just find out that what you do through us in this process might be a part of that thing that you've called for us to be and do. Keep us from trying to figure it out. Help us to trust you and walk it out. We pray this in your name. Amen.